Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're going to be talking about Cotillion by Georgette Heyer. So Georgette Heyer is sort of the godmother of the romance genre, at least the historical romance genre as it exists today. That's how I think of her. Oh, absolutely. She wrote over 50 novels. Yeah, right? Not all of them were Regency romances, but many, many of them were. Okay. She also wrote other historical romances, medieval, Elizabethan, Georgian, like, like all sorts of crazy... I think I've only read her Georgian and Regency stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say that the medieval stuff is not as good. Okay. But it's fun. I, I think the only flaw with Hire, and it's not a flaw, is she's clearly a cute, not porny romance writer. Like, at <laughs> right. most, her characters are going to kiss in the end. Right, at the end. You're not even going to get a kiss in the middle. Right. It'll be, and it won't be described, and it's not meant to be titillating. No. Well, I mean, I don't know. A lot of times they, they get crushed in a kiss, or... Right, but that's literally the whole sentence. That's literally The kiss yeah. was crushing. <laughs> so, it's a little bit outside of our usual fair. And so because of that, while this is definitely a true romance novel, we're not going to be following our usual formula of talking about offensiveness and sexiness and our summaries just because it doesn't really fit yeah. with what Hire does. Yeah. So this is, I guess, our classic romance category. And we are going to be reading a few other classic romances, not just by, by Hire, but some other authors as well. And honestly, it's just because Meg and I want to read those things. Mm -hmm. So we figure if we're reading them, we might as well be reviewing them for yeah, you. Why not? So. All right, so as usual, let's get started with the book jacket. Almost an heiress, country-bred, spirited Kitty Charings is on the brink of inheriting a fortune from her eccentric guardian, provided that she marries one of his grandnephews. Kitty has spent her secluded life pining for the handsome, rakish Jack, who is well aware of her attachment. A plan of her own. But when Jack fails to respond to his great uncle's ultimatum, Kitty hatches a strategy of her own. A counterfeit betrothal to mild-mannered Freddie Standen, who neither needs nor wants the money. A most unlikely hero. And when Kitty's generous heart leads to all sorts of unintended troubles, there's only one man who can rescue her from more than one dreadful fix. Pick up the pieces of her plotting and, in the process, her heart. Okay. I, I like how they try to sort of keep it a secret. Well, and I also like that they... So, full disclosure, this is the second time we've recorded this episode. We had a technical failure yes, the last the, time. The, the first time we've ever had a technical mishap to that extent. Yeah, we lost the whole episode. And the we had a different book jacket. We were actually reading it off the back of... Like, some like book we older, found online, yeah. an old copy. And this is a much better summary. Oh, that much one better. just name-dropped a ton of characters mm -hmm. and focused too much on the premise rather than the book itself. And so I think this one is a lot better, for sure. I think it's interesting. I think this one touches less on Freddy. Yes, it touches less on Freddy. And I think they made it... I think whoever wrote this book jacket is going off of a more contemporary historical romance background. Yes. So if you look at it, we've got the almost an heiress, you know. The formatting <laughs> exactly, is definitely exactly. more in line with what we've come to expect. Exactly. Um, but anyway, this book was published in 1953. Right. So this is mid-career, and I think it's probably one of her most, her funniest and most lighthearted romances. I really liked it. And I think 
technically this book is a great demonstration of what Hire is good at. Yes, there are a ton of characters and we've read a lot lately with a massive cast. Yes. And I don't think anyone suffers for it. No, no, this, what she does so well is she manages to have a huge cast of characters and yet each one of them has their own personality, mm -hmm. their own motives, their own place in the narrative. I, I just think it's really well done. And I think she's also one of those authors who's good at giving you a character's perspective while making observations beyond the scope of the character's knowledge in a way that doesn't feel ham-fisted. I agree. Yeah. Like the way she reveals interpersonal dynamics. And I think one of the things um, we've talked about previously with this book is Kitty and Freddie agree to this fake betrothal. Yeah. So, so wait, let's back up. Yeah. Let's talk let's about what happens to, in the to, book. Well, let's talk about the major trope. Yes. So the major trope of this book is the, the fake betrothal. Yes. The fake relationship. And if you've read any historical romances, you know that any fake relationship inevitably leads to a real relationship. So I, I, we're not going to be we're not going to be hiding the fact that Freddie and Kitty end up with each other in the end. Right. It should be obvious. It should absolutely be obvious. But they sort of don't realize it or articulate it or um, come to terms with them themselves until the last few pages of yes. the book. But the reader is definitely aware of them falling for each other, even though it's not stated in the text in yes. a way that's really deftly handled and so props to hire. Yes. And then something, something that I enjoy when I read these books or these Regency romances, these, these pure Regencies, is comparing them to how they would be written or would have to be written today mm -hmm. if you're reading, you know, a romance with sex in it. So, for example, in this book, they don't kiss until literally the final page, maybe even like the last third to last paragraph is when they kiss. And you know that if you were reading this in a contemporary a, a, a romance that were written, a historical romance that were written today, they would at least be a kiss halfway through. Well, and I think Kitty's reason for this fake proposal is that she wants to go Jack into proposing. Mm -hmm. So you know if this were written today, there would be an excuse for Freddie to feel Kitty up if only for Jack to catch them. Exactly. And that's just not even yeah. done here. In fact, Kitty and Jack are, uh, not just Jack, Kitty and Freddie are a awkward as all get out together. Which is oh, so wonderful. Which is totally played for laughs. I actually love, so there's a scene, it's so romance tropey in this book, the waltzing yes. scene. Yes. So Kitty has never learned to waltz. She's country bred and her uncle, well, her guardian, he's not actually her uncle, doesn't approve of her dancing or going to London. So she's never learned to dance. So again, we, I mean, we just recently read, um, that book by Sabrina Jeffries with the, the Duke Dynasty book, the first book in the Duke Dynasty series, where there's the whole, there's the waltzing, the dance scene. Yeah, no, right? I know exactly what you're thinking. I yeah. just can't think of the title of the book, and then I got distracted by how much I hated the concept of the Duke Dynasty. <laughs> I know. So sorry. But in any case, in this book, is almost exactly the same setup, is that she doesn't know how to dance. She has to learn before she goes to Almex and is presented to society. And he, Freddie, is there to help teach her. So she's very awkward. And at first, she feels very uncomfortable being so closely held in a man's arms. But then Freddie says, it's just me, Kitty. You're totally fine. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally fine. It's just Freddie. So basically, it's like not sexualized at all. It's so great. 
Well, and I think that says a lot about Freddie's character. Yes. So Freddie is described as a pink of the tongue. Yes. And he's like Beau Brummel, but without the drama. (laughs) So he's the guy everyone wants to invite to every party because he is so well-mannered. He's an excellent dancer. He's always willing to dance with the poor wallflower or accompany the annoying older matron into dinner. He's someone that husbands don't mind if he dances with their wives because he's non-threatening and he's just that gracious of a social yes butterfly yes uh, and so he's and he is sort of perceived in the beginning of the book by everyone including kitty as dumb yes when the fact is he's not learned he's not bookish he's yeah. not an oxford man no and he, i mean he he himself will be the first to admit that he's he's not in the oxford line but he's very aware socially Very emotionally intelligent. Exactly. And so he's able to make other people in society comfortable. He's able to see how to solve problems. He's, you know, aware of what the norms are. And so he can help others adhere to them. And he's very able to see through other people's facades. Yes. So, but he, he doesn't go around making them feel bad about that. Right. Either. So basically he is very socially adept and being with kitty has made his family realize his strengths because they were previously sort of dismissive of him as not the brightest bulb we're watching him navigate bringing this country girl into society has made them realize that he is very capable at what he's good at okay so let's we've we've talked about the tropes we've talked about she's gonna go to london in this fake relationship but why? So like the book jacket says, she has been raised by this guardian. He's very rich, but he doesn't use the money. He's very much like a Scrooge situation. Right. He's, right? he's loaded, but they live in a drafty house with no fires and last season's clothing. He and... never hired a governess for her. She's just had this companion who's completely obsessed with romantic poetry. And that's and basically it. Doubles as the housemaid. Yes. It's all very sad. His name is Matthew Pennycock. Yes. And it had been speculated in society that he was her biological father, and that's why he took her in, but it's revealed in the beginning of the book that he's not related to her at all. The speculation is that he was in love with her mother. Yes. I will also say that um, Hire does this amazing job of getting all of this exposition out without it feeling clunky. Yes. It's all in conversation, which usually that's the worst, when you're like, hey, don't you love waking up in the D.C. area lane? It's so beautiful to look outside and see the Washington Monument. Like, are you really going to say that to your colleague? No. No. But in this book, she manages to get all of that exposition out through this conversation between three of the grand great nephews and um, Matthew. And I think part of what, what makes it so great, not only is she able to provide exposition without it feeling exposition heavy, every character really does have their own voice Mm -hmm. and who says things in what way is part of what informs you on their character. And so part of the reason Kitty feels safe going to Freddie to help her in her situation, which we'll get to in just a second, is because he's the only one who's not a massive dick. (laughs) But as we've said, Freddie doesn't come off as the brightest bulb. His paragraphs are sometimes sort of hard to read. Yes. Like he speaks in this way without subject. Yes, often there's he there's just no subject to and, his sentences. And it's very distinct from his other cousins. Yes. Who are all awful. So when Matthew summons his great nephews to present them with this scheme he's devised that yes. one of them needs to marry Kitty 
and then she inherits and only then she inherits. Yes. It's pretty clear to everybody that what he was hoping was going to happen was Jack was showing up, she'd be betrothed to Kitty, and he can like say he sped it up. Exactly. But Jack doesn't come. Jack does not come. Freddy was not going to come either, uh, except that Jack and then one of his other aunts, aunts kind of trick him into going. Yes. Um, so who is there when they when she actually shows up? First, there is George. Who's a baron. A baron, Lord Bindin, who's already married. So he was not invited, and no one is sure why he is there, but he is the most social climby schemey of the bunch, and you know that if he had known Kitty was gonna be available, he would not have gotten married. Correct. So there's George. George's brother, the Honorable and Reverend Hugh. Who Retre. is Makes it very clear to Kitty that he is only there proposing to her out of pity. Right. Because of what her life will be if none of them marry her. And he has every intention of changing her. Yes. Into a good, church-going, modest woman. Yes. As opposed to someone with any spirit. Yes. Well, and he feels that she would make a good um, reverend's wife because she is so plain and modest. <laughs> but not, it's still not modest enough. Right. Not modest enough. Uh, and then finally, we also have Lord Dolphin Ten. Dolph, or Foster is his first name, but everyone calls him Dolph. And he is an Irish Earl. Yes. But completely impoverished. Yes. And he was deprived of oxygen in the womb. And so he's also prone to speaking without subjects, but also without point. Right. So Dolph has an intellectual disability. I yes. mean, that is... That is what it is. To, but it's very clear that he's not insane. Yes. He's not incapable. He's not... Um, he shouldn't be institutionalized. And I only bring that up because at certain points, in the, one of the ways his mother manipulates him is by threatening him with institutionalization. Yeah. When everybody knows he's just a little slow on the uptake. Right. So, so those are the three, the three people who show up in response to... Uncle Matthew's letter telling them that they should come and marry Kitty so they can get her money, which means only two of them are actually her suitors. And then there's one there, George, who's there just to make sure Hugh gets married to, to her, to, to, to further Hugh's interests. So and as we Hugh, said, his brother. Freddie and Jack don't initially plan to go. Exactly. And there's a sixth one who's, who's off in the war, war yeah. who never really shows up in the text. And then Freddie does have several brothers, but they're all young. They're all too young, yeah. So basically, Kitty is put in this impossible situation where she's picking between Hugh, the self righteous Reverend douchebag, and Dolph. The mentally disabled, poor Earl, who makes it very clear he has no interest in marrying her yeah. and is only there because his mother made him go. He's only proposing because his mother forced him to go. And he, the proposal that he chokes out are his mother's words. Yes. Um, Kitty does allow them both to propose and she turns them both down. And then she's just so upset that she, she runs away. But... She runs away to the nearest inn, where it just so happens Freddie, who is arriving late, knows his uncle's cheapness and tendency to dine early, has decided to stop for food. Yes. So Freddie's having this amazing meal, which also I loved. I actually love how uh, Hare talks about the food, mm -hmm. because the food just always sounds... Divine. Amazing. So anyway, he's eating, basically the innkeeper says, well, I don't have much. I just have this and this and this and this and this. And Freddie says, okay, that'll be fine. And also bring me up a little punch. Yep. You know? <laughs> so Freddie's having this Epicurean meal when Kitty bursts in. And 
Originally, Kitty is devastated to see him. Like, she really thought he was too good for this scheme. And then it becomes apparent to her that he didn't know why he was summoned. She had no idea why he was supposed to be there. He, he knew he was summoned by Uncle Matthew, but that was it. And so upon having her initial opinion of his character, which is that he's a great man and she didn't know why he was coming, simple but kind, yeah. she decides to hatch up the scheme where they say they're engaged so Matthew will let her go to London. And then when she gets to London, she's going to show Jack that he should have showed up and proposed because he really missed out. And Freddie is loath to agree to this plan. Partially because he's so honorable, yes. he can't fathom breaking off the engagement. Exactly. He has no interest in marriage, and he, I think, sort of foresees a potential outcome where they end up hitched. Mm-hmm. Partially because... He knows how society works, he, and she doesn't. I think he also senses that this is all a ploy for Jack and her, his uncle, and he just doesn't want to get involved in the whole mess. Yeah. Well, he knows that there that something is going on, but he he is not quick enough to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't know. I mean, he even says, "I thought you were sweet on Jack." Yes. And she's like, "Not anymore," you know. And then he <laughs> believes it. And he believes it very briefly. So they go. His, and his plan is she starts crying, of course, which leads to him saying, which trope of all tropes? Right? Like, a woman's tears are kryptonite. What do I do? What do I do? So she's like, fine, fine, fine. We'll do it your way. Yeah. I'll convince my uncle to let you come to London for a month and then we'll find an excuse to end this thing. Well, his plan is to let her stay with his parents. Yes. And he'll barely be around, except they get to his parents' house and all of his younger siblings have measles. measles. <laughs> so they can't let Kitty stay there. But Jack, in his infinite social awareness, realizes there's a perfect solution. He has a pregnant sister who can't be at her parents' house because of the measles and who does not want to live with her mother-in-law while her husband is in China for a year because they hate each other. Yes. So he sets up Kitty with his sister yes. as her companion. Exactly. So, I mean, Kitty is having this amazing time in town, and it is all because of Freddie. Yeah. So, basically, Freddie is giving her every one of her heart's desires, things that Jack would never do for her. So, for example, they get to town, and Kitty wants to go visit Westminster Cathedral. Kitty wants to go to the Tower of London. She wants to do all these great sightseeing things, which any man about town knows is just terrible. It's just tourist trap stuff. You should never do it. Plus, they're just not very intellectual either. So what's the point in going to see these places? Well, and but for Freddie, they're too intellectual. Right, right. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. When I'm saying they're not intellectual enough, I'm meaning the Freddie people. and Kitty. Yes. Not the sites themselves. Yes. <laughs> so the only site that he does like is the Tower of London because there is a menagerie there. Yes. <laughs> he, he enjoys the animals and yeah. you know so that was fun he was like actually the tower really wasn't that bad but <laughs> <laughs> but in her explorations of london kitty ends up picking up a menagerie of a different kind exactly she meets all these different people who need all sorts of different kinds of help and who are all not polite company right and the thing is that kitty just takes everyone at face value and at their word. But she is very smart. So Kitty and Freddie are sort of yin and yang, mm -hmm. where Kitty is very learned and very aware of classics and can have a yeah. conversation with, you know, intellectuals. But she has no social awareness at all. Exactly. And so who does she pick up? Well, she picks up a, a, a cousin of hers, a French cousin. Who is claiming to be a knight. Yes, the Chevalier Camille Evron. The, the, the Chevalier d'Evron, they keep calling him. 
who is uh, who is not. He's running, basically running a con. He is Kitty's cousin. He is, Kitty's and you cousin. know that in the text because she does recognize him. Yes. It's just that he is in London under false pretenses. Exactly. So there's Camille. There is Olivia Brofty, who is very distantly related to some members of polite society, but ultimately untitled, not wealthy, and her family is gauche beyond measure. Yeah, her family is basically trying to sell her to the highest bidder, and we're not talking about marriage here. I mean, marriage would be preferable, but no one has any illusions that that's where this is going to exactly. end. Um, so Jack actually has been considering taking on Miss Olivia as his mistress. Exactly. Now, Jack had, was always kind of assumed he'd end up with Kitty. He oh, himself, yeah. unlike most of his cousins, is untitled and not wealthy. Freddie will inherit a viscountcy. Yes. As we mentioned, George is a baron. He's a baron. Uh, Dolph is an earl. Yes. And Freddie is also wealthy yes. while waiting for this viscountcy. So Jack's sort of the one with nothing going for him other than he is adored by society oh, as everyone this loves rake. him. So he is, he's sort of Freddie's foil. He is the, I don't want to say the evil version of Freddie because he's not evil, but maybe the self-centered version of Freddie because I feel like everything Freddie does is mm -hmm. for other people, for his family, for Kitty. Uh, he he goes to these society events and dances with the Wolflers so they don't feel left out. Right. You know? Whereas Jack is really out for himself. He's in the back room gambling or seducing someone he probably shouldn't be. Yes. He's the one who actually goes to Gentleman Jackson's and, and fights right. people. And um, Freddie might be a pink of the ton, but Jack is a true Corinthian. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but so originally Jack is sort of going after Olivia and Kitty, who is takes everyone at face value and just isn't aware of how town works, has no idea. Yeah, has no clue that Jack might be interested in offering a carte blanche to Olivia. Right. Additionally, their cousin Dolph, Kitty finds upon kind of prying a little, like, why are you so reluctant to marry me? You like me, compared to, like, potential outcomes for your future. Dolph, this is not the worst. Yes. And she finds out that he has a secret paramour. Yes, he has found the woman of his life in a middle-class woman, Who basically. is the f relation of a major anti-monarchist. Yes. <laughs> who doesn't believe in the aristocracy. Yes. So his, her family disapproves of Dolph, even though he's an earl. Dolph's family disapproves of her because she's well, middle class. They would disapprove of her if they knew about her. But Dolph somehow knows enough to keep this a secret. So Kitty also decides to help them. Right. So that Dolph can stop making overtures at them because Dolph's mother did not take no for an answer. Exactly. And so Freddie has to explain to Kitty that constantly accompanying Dolph places is giving people the wrong idea. Yeah. And Freddie is trying to explain to her, not only are you cuckolding me for all appearances, you're cuckolding me with with Dolph. Dolph. <laughs> Kitty just doesn't get it. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is a good place to explain what a cotillion is. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a cotillion. I mean, when, when I read this book the first time, I had no idea. I mean, I assumed a cotillion. I knew a cotillion was a dance. And I knew that a cotillion was also like a... Like a debutante ball. Right, especially in the northern United States. But that's about all I knew. Um, but then it turns out that there there is a specific relationship between the kind of dance that it is and this book. 
Right. So it's a dance with four couples mm -hmm. where throughout the dance, people are changing partners. Right. And you end up with a different person than you started the dance with. Exactly. We all know that Jack thought he was going to be with Kitty and Kitty thought she was going to be with Jack. But of course, Kitty and Freddie end up together. Right. Um, but then there are all these other couples who didn't think they would be with the other either. Well, and in the beginning of the book, Jack is pursuing Olivia, who right. ends up really liking Kitty's cousin, the Chevalier. And the Chevalier is courting is a different woman, woman <laughs> in the hopes that he can blackmail her into paying him to leave yes. London. Um, and then, of course, Dolph is out for Kitty. For Kitty. But is actually in love with Hannah. Hannah. Uh, so we've got all sorts of different permutations going on here. And then, I mean, at the very end, even um, Uncle Matthew ends up with somebody, which is big surprise to all. Hilarious. And I think one of the things I like the most is the families are all really well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. Freddie's family is great. Freddie's family is really great. Uh, at the beginning, when, when they find out that he's betrothed to Kitty, they're not thrilled Basically, his mother had envisioned someone a little higher. Of standing. You know, of, of higher standing for her. Um, his father knows that something is up. So his father figures out pretty quickly that there's some kind of issue with this. It's probably a fake betrothal for some weird reason that right. he doesn't know exactly. But his family ends up really approving of the match because I think they see how that it's bringing up the best in Freddy. Yes. But there is also, Kitty's clearly trying to explore and has made some of these friendships. And Miss Olivia Browdy mm -hmm. has a family as well. Yes. Who is incredibly uncouth. And they invite Kitty for dinner and then actually end up taking her to this wild and tawdry party at an opera house. Yeah. And Kitty is sitting in there thinking, like, I should have listened to Jack. Association with these people can only bring me down. I don't feel safe here. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? And then she runs into Jack, mm -hmm. who has taken Freddie's sister, who mm -hmm. is the companion of Kitty, yes. to this dance. She runs into them there. She's so upset. She runs into her cousin, the Chevalier, there. And he is devastated. And this is where he finally confesses his ruse to her and that he's a professional gambler and con man, con man. basically. And so poor Kitty is just sitting here, you know, crying, thinking learning the never hardest lessons. Come here when who should show up to rescue her from everything? Freddy. <laughs> that that is Freddy. That is correct. Freddy. He shows up, takes her out of there, saves her from social ruination, and I think to me, I think this is the moment where Kitty really falls in love with Freddy. And this is also the moment where Kitty starts to regret their ruse, realizing that like people in his orbit have started really caring for her and she really cares for them and that ending their betrothal is going to have consequences beyond just... Right. And I think this is also the night that she sees, starts to see Jack for who he really is. Yes. And what a silly scheme this all was because he's just not worth it. Yes. So I will say all of these threads come together uh, in a wonderful way. So the denouement is... is Amazing. It's one of those scenes with everybody in one room that Meg and I love. Yes, like the sitcom ending where you've got all the characters in there and they're all there themselves to the max. And 
the ending is just so great. I just love it. They love it. I, love I really enjoyed this book. Yeah. It, it's highly recommended. So much fun. And if you like reading historical romances, but find sometimes that the historical veracity is lacking, you will not feel that way with this book. Oh, no. Higher is excellent at her courtesy titles. <laughs> but more than just the courtesy titles. I, that's know. my shorthand now, <laughs> <Yes>. though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so overall, I think we both strongly recommend this yes, book. Yes, this is, this is just a, it's a really great book. I think it's one of her best. Yeah, I think it's a great start to, place to start with higher. Exactly. So as always, thank you so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe. Have a good one.